Norm Macdonald's jokes are like Dirty Work, the movie Dirty Work. <laughs> he made a career out of over-preparing for jokes, which actually is kind of funny. Every joke in those movies is like, I'm about to tell a joke. This is the joke. Joke complete. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Father Brendan Lupton had a good story about him that he told in a class. But they were they went for a walk in one of these parks around here and um a chipmunk or a squirrel came up and looked at it was like begging for food because it was used to bench sitting park dwellers who would feed them breadcrumbs and stuff and I think they threw him something or whatever but just this interaction between the squirrel and Father Norris led him to say you see Brendan Ratzinger was right and Lupton's like Father you're going to have to you're going to have to expand on that he's like all reality is relational since God is love, everything that exists exists on the foundation of love. And so everything in nature is relational. That's why the squirrel is relating to me. And it's really true when you look at it. Like, yeah. my, I brought this up, this story up last time when my mother told me about this video of a deer and a dog who had become friends. Have you seen this? No. If you I just search YouTube, yeah. there's it's a, like a... Great Dane. It's a big, big black, dog. Big black Dane. And a deer that, like, have been friends for multiple years. Like, they they remember each other, and they play in the yard. And the deer, like, kind of like the Three Dogs North logo, you know how the dog will, like, have its hind legs up, but then the, the front legs will be down like he's ready to, to run. Like, the deer does that dog pose when they're, like, playing and chasing each other and stuff. And you think, what is it that... In nature, we expect things to fight and object to one another's existence, and because we see that in human nature. You brought this up years ago about dogs imitating their masters. Like you could tell, like a bad dog usually is reflecting some kind of defect in its master or its environment yeah. that the master creates. Bad training. Um, that that's like animals are in a way sort of a thermometer for how sin has infected the world or certain closed environments. But then when you see like Isaiah, the lion laying with the lion laying with the lamb, right. or the child putting its hand on the adder's lair and not being bitten, you think like, oh, that's what heaven is like, where everything is renewed, everything is just love, relational, yep. and relating in its proper way, um, not consuming one another in order to sustain our own lives, like my life costs your death, kind of thing. I think because we live in a post thoreau world, we think nature is perfect. Just go walk around in nature and there's God, right? But people forget that nature's fallen and the lion still grabs the gazelle by the neck. And we are part of nature. So, like, for throw, it's almost like nature's perfect as long as we stay away from it. But the second we start wandering around, then, like, it's ruined. Yeah, that whole thing is flawed. Yeah, because what are we if we're not part of nature? (laughs) Or if we're the capstone of creation, why is, like, nature sacrosanct until we come into it? I think that's the main flaw with the, the environmentalist position like and the popes have talked about how like climate change global warming these are all important things to address and like our our stewardship of the planet and making sure that 
there are resources for generations to come. But all within the lens of like the fact that nature is for us. God made us the kings of creation, that we were in charge, basically. Like I remember getting in this argument about the spotted owl when I was fighting fires out in California because there's whole towns that have been shut down because they were based on logging, but they're in areas where the spotted owl lived because they, they have to live in old growth stands of trees. And they just couldn't log there anymore because this is the only place the spotted owl lives. And there's like two or three owls there, but they can't log there anymore. So the whole, the logging, the sawmill shuts down, everybody moves out and, uh, people are all mad because like, who cares about this one owl when there's tons of barred owls that are doing fine. And my friend, I brought this up to my friend. I'm like, aren't human beings more important than a stupid owl? He's like, yeah, but human beings unlike the owl, are able to adapt and say, like, okay, well, we can protect this creature by finding another way to live. Mm. I thought that was a really good point because, like, the whole conservative position would be like, just kill the owl, man. That's true. The people aren't dying. We got we to gotta cut down the trees, which you can understand their position because, like, their whole livelihood, everything, the industry is built up there. Um, but, like, the, the hardcore environmentalist lobby is almost the opposite like to your point scott that human beings are like a parasite and the whales would be doing so much better and living peacefully if there weren't human beings stabbing their heads <laughs> which is true <laughs> i heard john allen talk about pope benedict and you know he's sort of this eco-friendly pope and he wrote about it all the time he made the vatican the first solar-powered nation in the world and he got no credit for it but people were saying oh well he's just a conservative and so he's trying to beef up his liberal credentials and he said that he realized that Pope Benedict realizes that in the secular world, the only place where natural law is understood is in the environmental discussion. So yeah, right. you plow through a rainforest, you strip away the topsoil, it's never coming back. Like you can't have a committee that says, well, we're going to decide that this is not how nature works. And that if you start where people's cultural understanding is, then you can work up to things like human morality and so on. Yeah. So, the, uh, yeah. Some of my friends out in Boulder were having great success talking to what many would call hippies about like the problems of birth control. And, like, these people who have no time for church or God, uh, it's not on their radar, or practicing natural family planning and these no. things. But that, that is one place of like no. So have you heard this, this story about the Boulder Creek? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are so many people on birth control that uh, the, the water treatment, the sewage treatment, which basically makes water suitable again to basically dump out into the natural whatever, downstream from Boulder, Colorado, is so saturated with uh, reproductive hormones, estrogen and stuff like that, that the fish have become hermaphroditic in some areas. What does that mean? Hermaphroditic means... What's um, a herm? Both genders. It's, yeah, but like what? You can pollinate yourself. So they have both parts? <laughs> they have both parts. They just grow parts if you give them enough hormones? Yes. Would we grow parts if dumped? <laughs> dumped you in this scat. water to the level of concentration that it actually has affected the trout population. That they're noticing now a significant portion of the population is hermaphroditic. They publish an article in the Denver or the Boulder, some register. There's a register paper out there. So. Okay. Like a secular paper. Yeah, secular paper. To astounding silence. Like if, if, you had, if you had had a factory in that town, 
that was creating yeah, yeah, yeah. by its dumping a uh, a, a, a mutant kind fish. Of, yeah, yeah, in the, in the population. Do you can you imagine what the reaction of the local population? Mr. Burns would get no free press. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but because it was directly <laughs> traced to human contraceptive use. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just have to accept the fish for who they are. <laughs> That's yeah, your I problem. Think, I That's think the right. problem is you've got to be this hermaphrodite fish. Yeah, <laughs> you can't handle it. But that's a perfect case so of where the natural law, right, is like pe- people are uh, are o- usually okay with being like, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Our impact on that environment is overwhelmingly negative. And therefore I have to change my own practices mm-hmm. as that's recycling. Right. Right. Whatever. That's right. Driving a Prius. I'm not, okay, I'm not going to burn all my water bottles anymore. Fine, I'll do that. I'm going to continue to burn my water bottles. <laughs> Even those commercials for birth control pills that you see, they have to list all the side effects, and it's like five minutes yeah. of scary things. Hemorrhage know. and stroke. death and stroke. Blood clot. Talk about the environment of your own body, you know. Mm-hmm. So you guys you guys know Walker Percy, right? You read his stuff. A little bit. Uh, I've heard of him. So <clears throat> all this stuff about... Yeah. <laughs> I don't of him. I've heard the, either one of those two <laughs> names. <laughs> I know Walker, Texas Ranger. They are, both, they are both kind of last names. So his whole thing is like ever since Descartes, we have split the the soul from the body so that the human being is more or less a ghost trapped in a machine. And that um, you sort of come into your own through this transcendent approach to the natural world. So living through art and science and, and these things that allow you to sort of step out of your humanity and see the world as a whole. Physi- like step out of your physicality. Yeah, you get kind of an angelic okay. perspective. When you, when, you, when you write the great American novel or you... Um, listen to the symphony of just, science. Just listen to the symphony of science, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, discover some new law or, or something like that, that there's something very human about that, but that... That level of like stepping back from the incarnate reality of being human, where body and soul are sort of intermixed and, and really constitutive of who you are, involves this problem then of like re-entry. He calls it being in orbit. You're out circling the earth, looking down on it from this position of abstract superiority. Well, much of what we experience in the world around us today are the problems of re-entry, is how I describe it. And the most common ways of re-entry are either violence or sex. Those are the two things that get you back into your human. Like, Interesting. Yes, here I am, back in the flesh. Huh. Inflicting pain or... Gleaning pleasure. pleasure. But yeah, just like using someone for this, for this carnal experience, right? Carnal, that's the, that's the word you use for it. Among other things, there's all these other different ways you can... Like carne asada. Like carne asada. <laughs> or chili con carne. Your grilled flesh. Or the cornies <laughs> at the carnival. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> you were yeah. saying? Well, that's... I mean, that's... So, I mean, a lot of his writing is underground. Okay, well, how do you... Percy talks about live? this? Yeah. Problems of re-entry. Problems of re-entry. Wow, that's really profound. That movie Gravity I, was, yeah. was very similar along those lines. Problems of re-entry. Literally. <laughs> I mean, his book is called Lost in the Cosmos. Yeah. His last book, where he sort of lays it all out and explains it. And the vision is of the planet Earth sort of up against the starscape. 
and <clears throat> you sort of you realize like that's that's what it looks like when you're Sandra Bullock's character floating off <clears throat> into space, mm-hmm. unattached, transcendent, alone. They're up there floating around. I mean, he's he's doing this kind of ballet around the shuttle, all that, feeling like we are just. With the apex of the human race. Yeah, this technology has allowed us to transcend our mortality and our conditions. We're floating around 750 miles above the surface of the Earth mm-hmm. in perfect equilibrium. <laughs> and then all hell breaks loose. And then you get stomach ulcers. Yeah. How do you get back? I just want to be back on, yeah. like, where I can be a human again. Mm-hmm. And when she grabs the. Like this, well, you know, the wet sand. Mm-hmm. She ruined everything. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> she survives. She discovered Earth. <laughs> she discovered... First human to discover Earth for the first time. <laughs> well, what was interesting about that was that as she plunges into that lake where she lands, you see, as she's swimming up, you see a frog mm-hmm. swimming in front of her. An amphibian. One who lives in both mm-hmm. worlds. That might be a little eisegesis there. Yeah, I'm um, almost certain it is. Yeah. Also, but, there was grass, so like you know, <laughs> grass has roots, chlorophyll, and air. Does she have roots <laughs> in the earth? Is the question. <laughs> or shallow ones at that? That's good. That's really good. Roots, roots. Call them roots. Where I come from. What do you say for the thing on top of your house? Yeah, everybody says it's the same. You don't say roof. Thanks, Zulong. <laughs> <laughs> roof, roof. It's more dog-like anyway. It's yeah. rough. It's rough. Now, forgive my ignorance. Walker Percy was a novelist, or yep, yep. He was a novelist. Well, physician by training. Really? But then he got tuberculosis. He was a pathologist. So he, when he was in the sand hoisted corner, on his own petard. Hoisted on his own petard. Which is a slowdown in music. He just sort of applied that training to the world around him. So just said the diagnostic habit, he says, is what always appealed to him. (laughs) So once he couldn't do that as a physician anymore, he just started doing it to just people living the world around him, you know, culture. So it's fascinating. Lost in the Cosmos is the book where he, it's called The Last Self-Help Book. And he basically points this out. He shows you these are all the ways that you're attempting to be human. And all of them are just trying to re-enter this human realm. Where I started this book, and one of the, one of the first things he points out is like, why is the first if you see a picture of a group of people that you're in, why is the first face you look for your own? Because you don't know yourself. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you still exist. It's like a reflexive spiritual need. I got to make sure that I'm still real, which is very true. Like the. I mean, I wonder if it's the, it's a Cartesian, post-Cartesian thing, like you're saying, like the whole ghost in the machine caused this, or if it's just generally speaking a human problem. It is a Because we have a spiritual soul, yeah. and, you know, science, art, all these things that make us sort of observers of life rather than livers of life. Yes. Where we see, I mean, art, it's sort of like represents reality in a way that's like through some human lens that transfigures it in some way. Like, you know, I remember seeing a picture of the resurrection uh, that some famous artist did, but it was like, 
basically like a photo, you know. It, he was such a great painter because he could do it so realistically or something. But it was so realistic that you can tell exactly what person had stood in for Jesus or for Mary Magdalene or whoever, uh, King David. And it was basically like all the patriarchs and saints and stuff witnessing the fulfillment of salvation history. Hmm. But it was too realistic. Like It was too much like somebody had just taken a panoramic photo of some people dressed up as King David and Mary Magdalene and Jesus and stuff that it wasn't good art. Um, it has to have some kind of like je ne sais quoi. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but something arty about it. Well, I've spent a long time thinking about this. Good, go ahead. <laughs> well, if see, I may interject, <laughs> now you're talking my language. <laughs> I actually came up with a little phrase that uh, liturgical art has to be abstracted enough to be universal, right? So it can't be literally the model in a costume. So you have to abstract out womanness or manness or Christness or whatever it happens to be. So abstract enough to be universal, but naturalistic enough to be legible. So it has to look like what its nature is, but then divinely idealized enough to be eschatological. So you try to realize what is a transfigured person like? What does it mean to have the passions transformed to be freed from the effects of the fall? Gold skin. Whatever it happens to be. Right? Laser eyes. That's this, the answer. This is what I call <laughs> hands and laser eyes. Here. I'm the future. <laughs> this is what drives me crazy about those mosaic, those uh, tapestries from the Los Angeles Cathedral that everybody loves so much. Yeah. Because they're very real. Because they're so real. I can relate to them. Right. Oh, man. But the that looks, Thomas Aquinas just looks like my grandpa. Exactly. <laughs> That's what, I read a book about this. The artist said, he took pictures of people on the street in Los Angeles and said, I wanted people to know that they could be saints, so uh, he just painted pictures of the regular people. People can be saints. People can be saints, so but they aren't yet. <laughs> right. Rather than making humans saintly, he made the saints fallen, which is crazy. Yeah. It's exactly the opposite. <laughs> like of what should be dork. Doing. <laughs> I like that. So when you look at them, they just look like regular people in, in costumes. And so sometimes people are tired of modern art, but they and they want to go hyper realistic just because it makes them think there's something. Well, and what happens with art, when you look at a great piece of art, isn't this dialectic thing like that guy's trying to get at? Like, who looks at that tapestry and says, hey, that looks like he just took a picture of somebody on the street. That means I could be a saint. Right. That <laughs> art is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't work like that in this discursive way. Art is just a thing. You, the art shouldn't be a solution. It works on you, you know, right. without you even knowing how. And because it's beauty, it's the very thing you've talked about this, the thing about the truth that's attractive, right? So you, truth is attractive in its own way, like in in reason and logic and stuff like you say, okay, that's really true because there's these certain fundamental principles, not contradiction and stuff that we just know. But beauty is like, I don't have to be talking. It doesn't have to be language. It's just beautiful and I'm attracted to it and I want to stay here and look at it. Yeah, it's right. that about the truth, which is compelling or attractive. Yeah. A friend of mine went up with her family to visit the, uh, the uh, I don't know if it's a basilica or cathedral up in St. Paul, St. Paul's. And uh, her dad went in and just like started crying. Oh, that <laughs> and he was incredible. like, I need, I need to go to confession, is what he said. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. But there was something about this church that yep. he was just like, I just, something is wrong. I need to go to confession <laughs> and I don't know. 
this is all so much. <laughs> and uh, somebody like pointed out the Pieta, like they have a replica of the Pieta, like Mary holding Jesus there. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going anywhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> not to, obviously, Art's not supposed to be like, you're so bad. But he just saw something beautiful and was like, I had to I get right. To, I yeah. had to get right. right? Yeah. Isn't that funny? That's so true, man. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, a, it's a response to something that's being communicated by that. Right. So that's a massive place. It makes you feel tiny. Yeah. It makes you feel insignificant. But not just insignificant. But not demeaned. No. Right. Because no. you're welcome in that palace of the world. No, you are, you are given a, uh, a reason to recognize something sublime or grand in the world that before that you are more or less, uh, I don't know, trivial isn't the right word, but it's a response to something that's being... Well, Father Hennessy talks about this in the original sin thing, where we descend into this self-love, where, like, and Chesterton, your, your allegory that you used in your article about gardening, where the self becomes this giant, and the world is some tiny thing for me to use and manipulate and observe. Um, but what's much more exciting is being the pygmy, the tiny little guy who takes an eternity to get through the backyard and is still finding new wonders, you mm. know? Like, being in a grand cathedral like that, and what's great about the St. Paul Cathedral, too, is that it's transfigured creation, you know? Like, the sun and the plants and the water and everything's, like, represented in those mosaics. Yeah. That was the sense I had when I went to Mass there. It was like, this is the heavenly city. This is this is the new Jerusalem with everything included, uh, nature and human technology and everything. Um, that it's big and I'm not... And Adam's whole sin is to say, I'm God and you're not. And the undoing of the sin is saying, you're God and I'm not. And so, like, in a way... But what a relief. It is a relief right. to say, I am not the arbiter of right and wrong. I don't get to choose natural law, what's, what's good and what's bad. I am just a participant in this awesome drama. And a small part, but a grand drama, rather than this huge part in a stupid, pathetic, tiny drama <laughs> of 70 years and 80 for those who are strong. And the burden of saying, I'm God for myself, means I've got to do it, right? Yeah. You know what? Two-year-old says, on my, I've yeah. got to feed myself. I've got to create myself, my house myself. No, you just surrender to the love of your parents, and then you don't have to worry. Relax. Now, talking about fallen nature, when you're talking about the mosaics there at the cathedral, you know, there's a trend now where people put plate glass, clear glass, Behind the sanctuary of their churches, you can see the mountains or, or the parking lot. Usually, you wind up seeing the parking, parking lot and the deer and the squirrels <laughs> and stuff. Oh, squirrels are but they bad. substitute fallen nature for the like a mosaic or a painting of, of redeemed nature. And people never think of that. When I give talks, and they're like, "Oh, wow, that makes sense." You know, nature's fallen still, mm-hmm. beautiful, a lot of good residual there, but still fallen. I remember something you sent me in college, Nick, that I still think of when I see stained glass. It's about memorization, memorizing like the Psalms or poetry or beautiful things, um, being like stained glass in a cathedral. How when you when you fix in your memory and your mind and the subconscious these things which are beautiful, they become like things through which reality is refracted. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And so, like praying the breviary for years now, just quotes from the Psalms come up, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just like a song that you can't get out of your head that you've heard a million times or um I've even found this is a funny funny one. So in college at the cafeteria at Newman they had Captain Crunch, but they had Crunch Berries. Yes. So basically, to me, that was like, you've just ruined Captain Crunch by putting tricks in it. Because all the berries that, that were... false. <laughs> I hated the tricks because... That's like a... They're not tricks. They're fruit. tricks. They were tricks. They're not tricks because they're like glazed. They're frosting on them. It's delicious. It's, but underneath, it's tricks. It's, just, it's not tricks. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. It's not tricks. Go ahead. It's tricks. Anyways, I didn't want them to be sullied with the berries. I wanted the pure peanut buttery goodness of Captain Crunch. And one day in time, I went down to the cafeteria, and there was an entire tall container, cafeteria style, of Captain Crunch, pure, unadulterated, unalloyed. Stop it. And I was, as I was pouring my bowl and getting milk in it, like in this whole 90-second process, and to sit down, I realized I had a song in my head. And it was... I've been waiting for this moment for all my life. Hold on. And I did not intend to start singing that song in my head. It just spontaneously came to me for all my life. This is the culmination. I bet that's what he was singing about. This is pathetic. Captain Crunch. But the point, my point is that there are things in your subconscious that just happen. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and so if you memorize like a you know, 200 line poem, that's in there somewhere. And as you're seeing things in reality, that poem is in there. It's like something, something that's a filter to you. But on the other hand, you can fill your mind with complete garbage. Watching reality TV, constantly looking at Twitter or Facebook or whatever... And all that's in your mind is just garbage, and that's how you see the world, or porn at its worst, you know, like, then you just see women as these object collections of body parts or whatever. You can't see reality for what's really going on because of how you've sort of built your filter. Right. Um, and I think that, like, you know, when you when you see a church with the stained glass and the, the whole thing built as a transfigured creation... That's what the church is supposed to do is kind of be a filter for how you're seeing reality. And when somebody goes in there that's got garbage inside, he's like, I want to clean that out so I can get the right filter going and start seeing reality for what's really going on, which is love, goodness, beauty, truth. All things that like resound in you. Like you feel them resound. Like these people with the the, uh, near-death experiences, like they feel this peace that like they've, like I was talking to this guy who had attempted suicide a number of times and had had this experience and he felt peace and he had never felt peace. Like he didn't. In his earthly life. Yeah, he was not acquainted with it, but he experienced it and he was like, and it was right. Like, you just knew, like, this has always been for me now. Like, mm-hmm. what I'm experiencing now is what it always was supposed to be. So, whether you, like, even if you're full of garbage, there's still these things that, like, vibrate at the right frequency. Yeah. You see this beautiful church and, like, something is vibrating in you that you're like. I think okay. a tuning fork is a good analogy. Yeah, like because it can be a church, or it can be reading some beautiful passage in Pope Benedict or, or whatever, where it's not like two plus two equals four, and we just know that's right because our minds work that way. And math is sort of this eternal principle that doesn't change. You read something about the Sacred Heart or whatever, and it's like Ignatian affective movements in a certain sense. Like you, you deeply feel some response that God's speaking to you through this, but in a way that's like the tuning fork that you just know it's true. Because there's something deep, deep down 
in your humanity, at your core, where you're here now being created, that's saying, yes, 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 to that. Um, and you have to sometimes quiet the outer... <laughs> It's like throat singing. It's like Eskimo throat singing. When you hear that music, you're just like, wow. I'm made for more than this. And another thing. This guy almost poisonous. I always look at it, though. How could you not? I know. It's way better than whatever United magazine's in there. Fabricer Schlemmer. Look at what some of this crazy... Who, and do people buy from Skymall? They must, because they wouldn't be there if they didn't. Maybe it's just a big joke. What? Somebody's just paying way too much. It's a mall in the sky. Skymall. Mall's on Earth. Well, you're on an airplane. You might as buy, well buy weird, 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 vibrating sandals. It's, does this... Play music. And does this say something something about our culture that, like, I must... Be shopping, <coughs> even when I'm in a sideways building in the sky, flying, hurtling through the air. I have to be shopping. Give me a mall in the sky. Here is your option. Look at this book of yeah. crap. <laughs> I'm often amazed. <laughs> no, people... same person, whatever. This Bigfoot looking out from behind a tree. Yep. <laughs> or a giant pillow that no person in the right mind would bring on a plane. That go oh, on your tray one, table? The one you lean forward on? Yeah. It's like the size of a that large wouldn't dog. Fit, that wouldn't fit in the overhead bin. Yeah. No, it wouldn't fit anywhere except for on top of your tray table. And so you what can't if, have during takeoff. You can't have down during takeoff. And we're, you're just going to hold it on your lap? You have, I think you have to buy an extra seat for it. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. it would. I do look at that picture sometimes and think, Gosh, that guy looks comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a pillow for you to lay down. It's a giant triangle pillow. Yeah, it's, it's trapezoidal, if anything. Yeah. So you don't have to put your hands down on the tray table. It's huge. Lay it's up like this. Yeah, it's a good idea, actually. It is. No, but it's not a good idea. Should, Should we order one? Should, Should we order one? I'll bet you they have SkyMall online. It's a giant triangle. No, you yeah. have to be on an airplane. <laughs> how, do you, how do you order sir, it on an airplane? Sir, what flight are you on? Delta, that's not real. Sir, you're, are you, you're not even in a plane. Okay, this conversation is over. It's only for Sky people. The creepiest things in SkyMall are those medical things. Though. It's like, perform your own surgery at home. You know, and contraction on yourself. Like these contraptions you can put under your chin and like hook it over a door. How about like, this stretch one? Stretch your spine. Are you Have you guys yeah. seen, I think this might be in SkyMall or just like some magazine ad. It's like a full page ad for this thing that looks like a mixture between like a Rube Goldberg machine <laughs> and a medieval torture device. Oh, it's like... And it's like $20,000 or yes. more. And yes. it's like, work out for two and a half minutes a day. It's two, it's like, like 17 no hours. It's got to be, you get in it and you're just like... Ah! Ah! <laughs> but it's only for like a minute and a half. Yeah, so yeah. you're done. It's like 90 seconds a day <laughs> and you will be Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Oh, well, that was perfect. This <laughs> worth every oh penny. I'm That's still paying it off. There's like wheels and levers, but yeah. there's no place like to put a human on it. It looks like one of those bikes from the old, like, oldie times, you know, where there's a huge wheel in front and a small wheel in the back. 
crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It looks insane. Yeah, but it's like for just like two minutes a day. But it's crazy it's an expensive. Olympic level <laughs> workout. It's it's like tens of thousands of dollars. Jeez. Yeah. I want to see in some. One of the many rich people's houses that I go into, <laughs> I want to get a tour. And, and you know they're big, the, the rich people house. They have like a big basement, big pink basement with Berber carpet and like no walls. Right, like like the record. Yeah, exactly. That that's a rich people basement, but and often there will be an elliptical mm-hmm. or a, what are those called, Bowflex or something, or a total gym. Has anyone? I want to see that thing. This bronze-plated, <laughs> ancient cantilever. <laughs> What's the I mean, I, so, so I can see somebody show me how it works. Because there's not even a person in it in the photo. There's never no. a person near it. I don't know how you'd put a person anywhere close to it. Yeah. Looks like every piece moves. Something you'd see in a machine shop. How about the abdominator? The thing is that a thing? It's so easy. It shocks my abs. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just like walk around. You, you put a battery on your stomach and it melts <laughs> the fat away. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I don't know. You, you can use it in the comfort of your cubicle. Hello, sir. Are you interested in buying home insurance? <laughs> Why are you talking like that? Why am I talking like what? <laughs> oh, I do happen to be working out at the moment. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's really good. That's kind of, why was that not in like office space or something? <laughs> One of the guys thinks it's so cool. Yeah, the that he's guy. melting fat. And they're probably some pot-bellied. How, right. Does that work, though? If it worked, yeah. people would be using it. Yeah, how can it work? They do have like fitness bottles wearing it, and they're like, wow, this is way better than ever doing crunches. And I'll never do crunches again. This is so much better. Look at how good my abs are. Never mind that I did, just got done doing a thousand crunches. <laughs> poor people are being tortured with electrocution all day long because they're so lazy. That whole thing. And the, they're not going to stop eating four Pop Tarts for breakfast. The workout equipment racket, dude. I feel like almost more than any other product, if you stay up past like 11 o'clock at night and watch any TV, that stuff that's on is workout stuff. Because people watching TV after 11 o'clock at night are fat. It's ways to make yourself smoothies and set it and forget it and exercise. Or things that are unseemly that can't be mentioned. You know, like the the, <laughs> the, the phone just lines that you young, call to help. Young, Cut. attractive women Tons that enjoy. Tons of singles just waiting for your call. Yeah, and who would be calling that that you would want to talk to? But all things designed to destroy your credit rating. <laughs> I mean, the, I think like whenever you watch those shows where people like need to get their credit card thing in control. They have tons of abdominators hidden <laughs> <laughs> in their house, unused. Yep. It's always the dream. Are you ready? Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And 
down. 